This morning I'm going to speak a message, and I, I hesitate to say this because I've kind of said this kind of thing before, but I believe it's, it, it's pivotal for the life of our church. I believe it's pivotal for the life of the church. And uh, I, I, I just pray the Lord will give me the ability to communicate this to you so that you can hear what the word of the Lord is for this time in which we're living. Um, the Bible talks about the last days and the kinds of things that we would see in the last days. And uh, all throughout the last 2,000 years, people have said, well, it must be the last days because of what's happening in the earth. And, and we're here now and we see all of the things that are happening and we say, well, this really must be the last days. And uh, so we don't know when the end of the last days will actually be, when the return of Christ will actually take place. But we know that it will happen. Now, last week, I spoke to you again about the book of Revelation. And we talked about the seven churches, the good and the bad that was in the church. And uh, we just kind of briefly touched on some of the things that Jesus said. And so we saw that in the church throughout history, there's been bad things. We also saw that there's been lots of good things. And yet the pivotal, the pivotal message of Jesus, it, 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 from which everything else springs, began with the Ephesian church, the first church that he addresses in the book of Ephesians. And he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from which you have fallen. So uh, in the NIV, it puts it this way. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So there was this reduction, if you will, this minimization, this abandonment, because that's really what the text refers to. It's to abandon, to forsake love. Now, um, when you think about that, you can't help but think back to the beginning uh, when God was dealing with the children of Israel. And I'm going to read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commandments and decrees and the laws of the Lord that your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing uh, the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Now, many promises that were given to Israel remain, of course, but they're also applied to the church. There are things for us to possess. There are promises for us to pursue. There are blessings that God assures that we will enjoy and experience in our lives in these days in which we, were, which we live. And the scripture continues in that same passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he goes on to say in the following verse, verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So these are, these are the things that the church is called upon to talk about, to believe, to share, to increase in their faith and practice. It's about loving God and putting him first. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, um, we read these words. Uh, First of all, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's Jesus had silenced them, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So as you look back in To the history of Israel, there is this summons to Israel to love the Lord, to teach the principles of love and of the commandments of the Lord to children. And it was so beautiful to, it was just so beautiful to have that message preached this morning from a child. And uh, just God bless parents uh, that pour the word of God into their children. It's the most important thing you can do. Now, when we come to the book of Revelation and we see all of the things that Jesus said have happened, are happening, and will happen, and they're all encapsulated in that book, the book of Revelation, and it talks about a lot of things that are future, a lot of things that are present, and it refers to things that are past. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, Uh, and all of the things that we see there, we can't help but ask the question, what was it that caused Jesus to focus on the fact that the Ephesian church had lost its love, had forsaken its love, and how vitally important that was to him, and how it became the the foundation or, or the proposition that was first when it came to all of the good or the bad that happened in the churches, the other six churches uh, in the book of Revelation. So what what did the Ephesians do? What, what was it that they lost and how did they lose it? And what do we need to learn from that today? Uh, because it's vital. It's critical. Our love to God and how we express it is number one as far as God is concerned. Now, uh, there's a a prophet teacher that I respect highly. His name is Mike Bickle. 
And he's done some extensive writing on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm going to read a passage from um, one of his one of his um, writings. And so uh, the first one, which is, yeah, here we go. Uh, so we are going to begin tonight by seeing the primary message of the seven churches. And that is to love God with all their heart. And so we say, well, that seems pretty obvious. But I think the message is that the Holy Spirit is going to establish the first commandment in first place. So we can acknowledge mentally, oh, yes, well, that makes sense that we know that God says it, but that doesn't mean it's established in the church. Important point. In the next slide. That message is not on the minds of hundreds of millions of believers. Though it seems self-evident and obvious that it is number one on God's agenda, but it is probably on the back end of the top ten in the church. It is not on most people's minds. Well, I know that as I read this, I really felt impacted. There was much he wrote on the seven churches, and I, I've read, uh, I've read. It's literally, I don't know, it's in the hundreds of pages that he's written. And I do not want to ever just run past this subject, because I do not think that we can repeat it or say it too many times to remind the body of Christ and call our hearts to it. Next slide. Tonight, so he was teaching uh, this, uh, as, as this is a quote from his teaching. Uh, Tonight, I want to give a snapshot of the fact that he is calling the church to how he called three of the seven churches to this in a very specific way. He was really saying this, make the first commandment first. Take time to connect your heart to me. Make the first commandment first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Make that first. Make that first. Next slide. Do not be so busy, even in the revival ministry, and forget me. This is what he is saying to three of the churches, and that is what he is telling the end-time church. We talk about revival, we pray for revival, and it is the heart of God. But when revival comes, we can be so caught up in the revival and the good things that God is doing that we lose or we disconnect our love from God because we're so happy and busy in the revival. Next slide. I have no question that the one church of the seven churches that globally describe the body of Christ in the earth now is the Laodicean church, not just in the Western world, but in the earth. So the Laodicean church was the last church, and it was the church that claimed it was rich, but it was really not in God's eyes. In fact, it was a dead church. You have a reputation. You say you're alive, but you're really dead. And 
and, and different people uh, interpret the book of Revelation, several do, that each of the churches is following a timeline, and the Laodicean church is the last church of history. Well, I'm not sure that that's actually what is the Bible is intending, but that's what Mike, Bi- Mike, Bible, Mike Bickle is saying here. But here's what he says, and... Uh, This is so powerful. It's the 13th or the next slide. The great miracle of the end times is that the Holy Spirit is going to transform the Laodicean church of this hour into the prepared bride. The greatest miracle of the end times is that the Holy Spirit is going to transform the Laodicean church of this hour, that's today, into the prepared bride. There is, the next slide, a bigger storyline. He is after our heart. He is preparing a bride for his son's return. And when we lose sight of a bridegroom king preparing a bride, then the book of Revelation just becomes a book debating end-time charts, facts, and events. And we and people say, well, what, well, what's this mean, and what's that mean, and when's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? And yes, it's okay to look at those things, but the heart of it is that the the actual timing of the things of and events of Revelation become less important to us if our primary focus is on His love. And then as we look at these things, we can interpret them in terms of his love and how he is preparing his bride for the return of Jesus. You know, one of the things for men is it's really hard to think of ourselves as brides or as the bride. And and as I was in my room uh uh looking at this and listening to what Mike Bickle was Mike Bickle was saying. I kept thinking, yeah, that really goes against my nature as a man, to think of myself as a bride or part of the bride. And that becomes part of the struggle that we have, especially as men. He goes on to say, Beloved, it is about a bridegroom king beckoning a church with a Laodicean attitude to be completely transformed, that he might come for her as a prepared bride. And that is what I call the great what I call one of the greatest miracles of human history in terms of human population. Um, two more statements that he made. I mean the greatest miracle is Jesus coming and raising from the dead and then returning. This is the greatest one. So he's saying, okay, the greatest miracle in all of history was the coming of Jesus, his death, and then his resurrection. That's number one. However, in terms of the human experience, the greatest miracle of human history is the transformation of the end-time church 
from a passive Laodicean spirit to a prepared bride. Next one. Now the church in 2,000 years has never seen herself, not universally, as a bride. The church has seen herself as an army, as a family, as a kingdom, as priests, as a temple, and various things. However, the majority of the church has never in 2,000 years seen herself as a cherished bride. Well, we focus on so many things in the world around us. Uh, We focus on all the stresses and trials of this time period in which we're living with COVID and so many political upheavals and so many uncertainties in the world, the economy uh, uh, failing, and these become the things. And, and, and what is God doing? What is God calling us to do? He's calling us to be raised up as a prepared bride for the return of Jesus. Because the word of God says, when these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption. It's drawing close to the end. The final return of Jesus Christ. And our preoccupation should be upon nothing and no one else other than loving Jesus. Well, let's go back to Ephesus. Because this seems to be what the Ephesian church had at the beginning. They, they were a church that loved. They loved God. They, they were fixed on, on loving him. And um, it was like, what happened? Well, in order to understand what they left and forsook, we need to understand how it all began. And so I, I'm going to take you back to uh, the book of Acts, where we first hear of the Ephesian church. In fact, it really wasn't a church when it's first mentioned. And it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So there were disciples, but they really hadn't been taught. They didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And, and, and so this is a pretty, very, very much a, a group of people in, in the very beginning stages of their walk with Jesus. And, and it says um, in the next verses, uh, and this is what um, Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said into, uh, to him, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, well, John indeed, indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, 
saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So they experienced two water baptisms. One of them was at the time of John the Baptist, who was a contemporary of Jesus. And John was preaching, and Jesus was preaching. Both of them were preaching the kingdom of God. And John was talking about forsaking sin, that we need to repent because we're sinners. And he would cry out against the sins of the nation and political leaders and and religious leaders mostly. And people would come by the, well, just by the crowds to the River Jordan for John to baptize them. It was a baptism of of repentance. And that's an important beginning point. We don't begin to really become followers of Jesus until we repent. Salvation is based upon us being willing not just to receive, but also to reject. We need to reject our sinful practices in, uh, to purify ourselves or to allow God to purify us and from there receive uh, the gift of his salvation. So uh, it says uh, uh, that... Where are we here? Um, that, that they should believe on him who would come in Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so baptism now became more than just a repentance. It became an, a relational experience with Christ, identifying with his death and resurrection. So they're being taught. And if you're going to move into the kingdom of God in its fullness in your life, if you're going to be the prepared bride of Jesus and all that that implies, then it, it means that we have to be willing to be taught. That the most important thing for us are the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit leading us into the truth of God. Well, uh, it says then that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So baptism number two. So people say to me, if I was baptized as a child, if, uh, you know, if there was something that happened to baptize, you know, I was, my parents brought me to a church and I was baptized as an infant. Well, um, do I have to be baptized again? Well, they were back here. And baptism is not an act that you do on behalf of someone else. It's a an act that a person makes of their own free choice. So, two baptisms that happened in the Bible. Well, if you've never been baptized with water, by all means see me. Um, or see Joanna or Marlene or one of the elders. Uh, we actually were looking at this week, how could we do a baptismal service in the middle of a pandemic and, and maintain all of the protocols that are required for that? Well, it is actually possible. And we think it is anyway. We're looking into it. So then, uh, after they were baptized, it says in verses 5 to 6, when Paul had laid hands on them, then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were, now the men were about 12 in all. So this is a a small group of people. It's just the just a nucleus of a church. But interestingly, the number is the number 12. So they said they'd never heard about the Holy Spirit. 
And this is what I find is amazing about this story. Paul taught them about water baptism. He taught them about the experience of being baptized in the name of Jesus, and they listened and they followed him. But it doesn't seem like he taught them about the Holy Spirit. Maybe he did, but the Bible doesn't record it. It just says he laid hands on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with tongues. They prophesied. Now, listen. The experience that God wants for you is not just pendantic. It's not just about up here. It's not just teaching. It's not coming to the church and hearing the pastor preach or as important of those th- as those things might be, the Holy Spirit wants to come into your into your life and invade it. He wants to possess you. He wants to fill your life. He wants to give you a language that you've never learned in order for you to be able to pray with the understanding and pray with the Spirit and to have insight that you could never have otherwise. There's more for you if you've never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's more for you right here, right here today. There's there's more for you to be filled and church. As God's people, (laughs) it's like when we baptize people in this tank up here, when we're done, we pull the plug and all the water drains out. And it seems to me that some of us might have a spiritual plug. (laughs) That once we we receive the Holy Spirit's gift, then in time as it goes past and the pressures and the trials and the different different things that come into our lives, all of the pursuits, it's like we've pulled the plug and not even realized it. And slowly we become emptied. We lose our spiritual our spiritual power and, and passion. Um, is this what happened in the Ephesian church? They were filled with the Spirit. They prophesied. Well, if they they forsook their first love, what did they forsake? If it wasn't these things that were their dynamic experiences in God. Now, here's an interesting thing. You say, well... Well, I'll kind of follow with it. Just, I just have a couple more passages to read for you this morning. Um, after that experience, you have these 12 men that are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're prophesying. And it says in verses 8 to 10, He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. Now, Ephesus was a Greek city, But in many Greek cities, uh, Jews had moved there because of the famine that had happened in Israel. And when they moved into these Greek cities, they established synagogues, places of teaching of the law. And so it says that Paul went into the synagogue, that's in Ephesus, and he spoke boldly for three months. So he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching Jesus. 
as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. And he reasoned with them, persuading concerning the kingdom of God. And then it goes on and says, but when some were hardened and did not believe, um, but spoke evil of the way. Notice the way is capital. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the way became, Christians were known as followers, as the way, followers of the way, not followers of Christ. That was kind of, um, uh, 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 what do you call it, a title or something that was attached to them. It wasn't really their own title. It's just that um, the people around the, in, in, the, um, in, in the culture, if you will, uh, they saw, oh, they're talking about the way. Those are the people that talk about Jesus as the only way, that the way of salvation, the way to God. And uh, so they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And, uh, and he departed from them and withdrew to and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So here was a, a, a limited possibility for the teaching of the gospel because of the hardness of men's, men's heart. But then look at this. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks. So, teaching, they heard, they heard. It went right through all of Asia. Both Jews and Greeks heard the gospel. But hearing does not necessarily meaning changing or accepting. How many people in Canada have heard the gospel of Jesus? Very few haven't, I would say. Do they need to hear it again? Yes. But so many people have heard but have not believed. Now, <laughs> it says after this time, so this period of uh, uh, a couple of years goes by, and uh, there's no, everybody's hearing, but there seems to be no results. Then verses 11 and 12, and I'm going to close with this. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. So, all of this is something that the Ephesian church heard and experienced. I'm going to pick this up again in a couple of weeks. I'm going to talk. Uh, there's part two to this message this morning. So here they they had marvelous teaching. They listened to Paul teach the gospel. They had the powerful experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which opened their minds and their hearts and their spirits to be able to receive the teaching of the Word of God. Because Jesus promised when the Spirit of God came, he would teach of all things concerning me. 
And so here was a group of people totally prepared, totally equipped to receive the word of the Lord, to be taught by it, to be empowered by it. They were baptized, had been baptized under John, and now were baptized under Jesus. So they, they connected with him in this very symbolic relational experience. And of course, it was more than that for them. They, they connected with Jesus. They fell in love with him. They fell in love with what God had done them, done for them when they were baptized in his name. They fell in love with the Holy Spirit that filled them and opened their whole mind, soul, body, and spirit to the wonderful person of Jesus. They fell in love with the Word as they listened to it taught, being taught for two years, and seeing how it spread, how others were picking up and saying, did you hear what Paul is preaching? We don't know how it was preached all through Asia, but it was. And then, wow. Miracles. The power of God. The power of healing. Those who came and those who couldn't come, somebody would bring a handkerchief and Paul would touch it, or I'm not sure what he would do with it, but it would go back to the person. And the person upon receiving the handkerchief was receiving the faith that was behind the act and the faith of the person that God was using, the Apostle Paul. And people were healed. And people who were possessed by the devil, by evil spirits, were set free. And they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. But Jesus said, you've left your first love. You've abandoned things you once embraced. You've abandoned the giving of tithes and offerings. You've abandoned the giving of your time for corporate prayer. You've abandoned your focus on Jesus. You've become fixated on politics or prophecies or any number of things. You've become fixated on making more money possessing more things for advancement, for achievement in your career. Those have become your passions. And, and coming to the house of the Lord is something that, well, I can do whenever I have time. And you know what? We can find more legitimate reasons than you can shake a stick at to stay away from, from church. But I think we need to take that stick and shake it at the devil and to shake it at our attitude and our thinking and our forsaken love and say, I'm putting things back together by the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be a member of the end time church that rises in the anointing of the bride to be a fit bride for the groom when he returns. Hallelujah. Stand and give praise to the Lord. Yes, Lord.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, let's just lift our praise to him. Lord, we give you praise. Lift your voice and praise him and give him thanks. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Worship team is coming, and as they're doing, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship and commitment to the Lord. But I'm going to ask you to just really open your heart, and I pray that you've received the things that the Lord has placed on my heart this morning to share with you. Is it pivotal? Yes. For this church, yes. For every church, yes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. That Moses said it, so also did Jesus say it. O oh Lord God, O oh Lord God, may the reproving work of the Holy Spirit bring us to a place of repentance, bring us to a place of acknowledgement that in our own strength we cannot even learn to love you. But as we yield to your impulses of love that are every day emanating towards us, and we, as we allow ourselves to be embraced by the groom, our hearts become prepared to respond with reciprocal love, where we can truly say, not just with words, but I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Go ahead and make that confession you this morning. I love you, Jesus. Go ahead. Just say it over and over again. I love you, Jesus. Say, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just before we sing and worship, I'm going to ask you if you just, uh, you probably already have or if you haven't, if you would just um, close your eyes just for the sake of privacy. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to speak first of all to the church, to every person who is a follower of Jesus. Has God spoke to you from his word this morning? Has he? If he has, raise your hands. Raise them high. Raise them high. And say, Jesus, I receive. Jesus, I receive. I receive. I repent. I turn. I, I, I pursue you as a deer. Pants after the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O oh Lord God. And you can put your hands down. Is there a person or more than one person here this morning? You say, Bruce, I, I have heard what you've said this morning. I, I, I know I need to give my heart to Christ to become a follower of him. I don't know everybody here completely. I don't know everyone's experience. So I'm not sure that everyone is a follower of Christ. And if you're not, but you'd say, Bruce, uh, would you remember me in prayer? I want to this morning say yes to Jesus and begin a life of faith with him. Is there anyone? Thank you. 
Okay. Worship the Lord together.
could express how much you tease this morning of course he always is but he's reaching out to each one of us with overtures of love it's like he's calling us as his bride to respond in a way that meets his overture to us his love messages to us. And just while I was sitting there, and by the way, I never asked Ira to choose those songs. She chose them all on her own without knowing what I was speaking this morning. And when I saw the lineup of what songs she had chosen, I thought, wow. So, Holy Spirit certainly directed her to choose those songs. But um, I look at the body this morning and I know that there are people that are going through things. Danny, we know you're going through some real trials right now. And Susan, we know you've just lost your husband and uh, you found out that you didn't know this until the autopsy, but that he had a tumor. And so we pray comfort for you this morning. And Andy and Bonnie, as your 24-year-old grandson, has had an accident and is, has been in a lot of pain. And your heart has been hurting for him, and you've reached out to him. We pray for you this morning. And we pray that this young man will be raised up in health and strength and the power of God to heal him, the power of God to minister to him. We think of the Aikens family this morning and the loss of Doris. And, and Mal is up in Sydney right now at Kevin and Alice's place. And we pray for, we pray for him this morning. 
and uh, we reach out to him in, in prayer and in faith. And there are other needs this morning, and uh, I've not mentioned them all, but every one of us, uh, we pray that for everyone that has a specific need, a, a, something weighing heavily on your heart, a sickness, you're here this morning and you need a touch in your body from Jesus, just raise your hand. How many are like that? Okay. Okay. Yes. Just keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. And those of you that are close, just stretch your hand towards those that have their hands raised. And just start to pray from where you are. Just start praying for them. In the name of Jesus, we receive healing this morning. In the name of Jesus, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus, we feel we receive comfort and strength and faith. In the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, we receive everything that we need in order to be able to sustain life in these days in which we live. We receive your anointing, O God, to be witnesses, to be ambassadors. We receive your anointing, O God, to that the testimony that we share in inviting people to the house of the Lord next week. Uh, we receive, O God, that anointing to fill this house with people that need Jesus and receive, see them one to Christ. We receive this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.